0: Hi guys, I'm Crystal, And I'm Elle. And welcome to Alternative Interests, episode three. I am actually going to be covering our first serial killer. Whoop whoop! Not
1: to like serial killers, but like...
0: Right, it's, just, it's <laughs> So This one's really interesting because this guy was on police's radar for pretty much the entire time he was active. What? They just couldn't pin anything on him
1: those are like my low-key favorite kind though because they're just that screwed up that they're getting away with it
0: yeah and And it's oh man this one's gonna make you angry (laughs) so just get ready to be angry with me (laughs) let's cover the hollywood ripper In the summer of 1993 in Chicago, Illinois, 18-year-old Trisha Bacaccio lived with her parents and two younger brothers. Her brothers were 17 and 13. In 1993, she graduated high school. She was getting ready to go off to Purdue University in Indiana. On August 13th of that summer, she actually went out with her friends for one last time before everyone was going to be splitting up and going off to college. It was this really cute... They were going to do a scavenger hunt and dinner. So it was really cute, innocent fun. Trisha dropped her friends off, and she drove home around 1 a.m. The next morning, Trisha's father, Rich, was going out to his van when something caught his eye by the side entrance to the house, Rick walked around, and he actually saw his daughter's tennis shoes sticking up, and uh, he found his daughter stabbed to death in his driveway. What? Yeah.
1: Like, a lot of stabs, or just...
0: Uh, A decent number of stabs. Okay. Uh, So police were called. They determined that Trisha had been walking up to the house. She had parked her car, keys in hand. She was walking up to the side entrance to go back in. Her assailant attacked her from behind. Whoever it was twisted her arm so forcefully that he broke it. What? And then stabbed her 12 times in the left breast, arm, and chest.
1: What a jerk.
0: Yeah. Key information here is the left.
1: The left. Okay, remember the left.
0: Uh, so DNA was found under her fingernails. I mean, this is... 1993, early 90s, DNA technology isn't super advanced. So they were able to determine that it was male, but they couldn't really figure anything else out. Oh. A lot of people were interviewed, but police never made any arrests, and they never had any suspects. The family was too upset to continue living in the home where their daughter and sister had been found murdered. They actually ended up moving out. I don't know if they rented the house or if they moved to an apartment, but after four years, they decided that, you know, they wanted to go back home. So they actually ended up moving back home really soon after they moved back into their family house. A friend of one of their sons came over to visit. Um, this kid's name was Michael Gargiulo. I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong, but I don't care. Um, (laughs) Michael had grown up around the corner from the Picasso family and had been friends with Doug, the older son, since they were in second grade. So, like, this kid, they were really yeah. close friends. Best Family knew who he was. Michael shows up asking to speak to Rick. Diane, Rick's wife, said that Rick was at work. And Michael actually waited for over an hour until Rick came home. So when Rick came home, uh, he said in this documentary that he looked like he was about to say something. Like, you know, the look of someone that's, like, been waiting for you. They're trying to find the words to say, well, Rick's father and sister showed up and were like, Michael, we need to leave. And they just, like, scooped him up and ushered him away. And so Michael never really got to talk to Rick, even though he waited there for over an hour. He never got to say anything.
1: That's weird.
0: Diane kind of commented to her. She's like, that was a little weird. And that was when the two of them began to suspect that Michael was involved in what had happened to Trisha. That's all the sketch. What's really good, they went to the authorities almost immediately.
1: Oh, that's smart.
0: By the time they told the authorities, Michael had disappeared. What? Yep. Michael moved to Los Angeles. He moved there for the reasons that Most people moved there. He had aspirations of being a professional boxer or a movie star. So while he was pursuing this, he actually worked as a bouncer at a Hollywood nightclub called the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Two of Michael's co-workers from this time described him as someone who was constantly telling elaborate stories, and they didn't really believe a lot of the things he said. Michael told these guys he was training to be a pro fighter as well as acting and modeling, Basically, the, these two guys said that he was quote-unquote doing the Hollywood thing. <laughs> they also mentioned that Michael was a really good-looking guy, clean-cut. He always had girlfriends or girls chasing after him.
1: Okay, I was going to ask, how attractive was this?
0: One? The Well, I mean, this guy, he did have a little bit of boxing training. So when okay. he was saying he was trying to be a fighter, it was kind of true. And he actually got cast in a part. Uh, by someone at USC to play the part of a boxer in like a film for school
1: oh, okay. and
0: everyone commented that this guy he was good looking he looked like a boxer so he was muscular mm-hmm. so I mean he always had girls yeah. around him somehow.
1: So was he trying to be a boxer or just trying to be in movies about boxing? Cause he would have been in I don't, a world of hurts nowadays because I don't feel like there's any
0: And some of both. I don't know. Like, you go to Hollywood and you try to be famous. Yeah. So I think he was just trying to do that in whatever way he possibly could. Makes sense. One day, he was driving around with these two co-workers and Michael asked them, have you ever killed anyone? What? And they didn't really have a chance to answer. And he said that he had, quote unquote, stabbed up a girl and left her laying on the steps. At the time... These two guys were like, it's just another one of his stories. And they were like, you need to shut up, dude.
1: That's not something you just say.
0: Apparently, this guy lied so much that it was something that they believed. I guess
1: Boy Who Cried Wolf.
0: I get, like, he told so many elaborate stories that they were like, yeah, dude, just another one of your stories. Although that's a weird one.
1: That is a weird thing to ask and then follow up
0: with. So, what's even more concerning is that Michael actually was known to have a quick temper. Hmm. That's even more reason to believe this, but his temper actually got him fired from the nightclub because he pa- he punched a patron of the club.
1: Hmm. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Last story that we went
0: <laughs> over. Um, after losing his job as a bouncer, Michael got a job as an HVAC technician. So, like, air conditioning and heating Okay. Guy. I was about to ask. <laughs> In early 2001, 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin had the world at her feet. She was this gorgeous, like, petite girl, blonde, super big, beautiful smile. She was a part-time fashion student, and she had this really great group of close friends. She basically had men falling at her feet. She had her pick of the litter.
1: Oh, you're gonna break my heart and like.
0: One day, Ashley's friend Chris was outside of her house changing a flat tire on his car, and this guy kind of approached him, was like, "Hey, do you need some help changing a tire?" At the same time, Ashley came outside, and they didn't say why, but I'm I'm assuming that like you know my friend's outside changing his tire, I'm gonna go check up on him. Yeah. Every so often, be like, "Hey, do you need help? How are you doing?" I'm gonna go back inside. At the same time, this guy showed up. Ashley happened to come outside. Chris was like, you know, I know how to change a tire, dude. It turned into this guy was flirting with Ashley. They only really knew the guy. He introduced himself as Mike. He and Ashley actually ended up exchanging phone numbers.
1: Uh, Of course.
0: After this first meeting, Mike kept trying to get Ashley's attention. I mean, she's, she's beautiful girl.
1: Yeah.
0: He would call the house Or he would just show up uninvited because, you know, he knows where she lives. Um, Ashley's friends actually recalled a time when she was hosting a house party and Mike showed up and just plopped himself down and just laser focused on Ashley.
1: What? That's creepy. Right? I don't know if I could. I don't know. Right. That would be alarming to me.
0: Well, it was alarming to them, too. They kind of thought this guy was creepy. There was later rumors after everything went down that he spent time in his car watching her house in the middle of the night. Ew! Or that uh, she had a dog park across the street from her house, and there were times her friends thought they saw him in the dog park just watching her house. They prob- He probably was. Right, like, major fucking creeper vibes. So, thankfully, you know, with Ashley being so popular with the menfolk, yeah. she wasn't interested in Mike.
1: Okay, good. Thank you.
0: I'm gonna say right now that if I was Ashley, I don't blame her for not being interested. Not because she, Mike was creepy, but because of who was interested in her. She had a couple celebrity suitors. What you will never guess uh, who one of them was. Who? Tell me. Ashton Kutcher.
1: What? I would have left my whole life. Rest.
0: <laughs> I actually, I I saw a report somewhere that she had actually dated Vin Diesel too at some point. What? really crazy. But, I mean, she lives in Hollywood. She's a gorgeous girl. They're all running in the same circles. You run into celebrities. It just happens. that's
1: true.
0: Vin Diesel isn't important, and I only saw it reported in one place, so I don't know how true it is. Mm -hmm. But Ashton Kutcher actually is important to the story here, (gasps) other than just a name drop. Like... I love Ashton Kutcher. Same! And, uh, hi, Ashton Kutcher, please listen to our show. Oh, my God, thanks. Oh, I love um, you. <laughs> because, I mean, I really like the stuff he does for he's human such a rights. Good, he's such a good guy. Yeah, human human rights, and he works towards ending human trafficking. Yeah. So, I actually really love him as a person.
1: He's, like, the most well-rounded human being that I'm, like, you know, slightly, like, worshipped because <laughs> of him. I mean,
0: like, he's, he's great. Um, so... He he plays into the story more than just a little name drop here. Okay. On February 21st, 2001, Ashton Kutcher had planned a date with Ashley. They were supposed to meet for drinks after the Grammys. Uh-huh. Um, that day, Ashley actually spent the day with her dad. He had come to visit from Los Altos, and he was helping her to do a little bit of light remodeling and painting at her house. She and Kutcher talked twice during the day. I'm assuming it's to, like, solidify plans, like, hey, I'm still coming at this time. Or actually, his day ended up getting really busy, so he had to push back the time he was meeting. So it could have been a, hey, I'm really sorry, but we got to go later. But they talked twice during the day. Ashley dropped her father off at the airport that afternoon. And around 7 p.m., she called her landlord to come over and help fix her ceiling fan and move some furniture for her. Ashley was actually dating a few people at that time. She had just gotten out of a relationship, and so she was casually dating a few people. Her landlord later testified that they were actually having an affair at that point. They had <gasps> met up a few times. And oh. when she called him over to help with the ceiling fan and move furniture, they actually ended up having sex. Okay. Okay. The timeline is super unclear exactly when the landlord left, but at some point he left. He later testified in court that he was present when Ashley took a shower, like he was still in the house. Ashley hopped into the shower and Kutcher was actually running late. And so he actually had to call her again at 8 24 PM. He called Ashley to update ag- her again and just To let her know that, you know, he's still coming. Really sorry I'm late. Mm -hmm. Ashley said that she had just gotten out of the shower. So the landlord said he was there when she was showering and that he recalled her getting the phone call, but that he had left when the phone call came in. Kutcher didn't actually show up to her house until about 1045 p.m., which, you know, under normal circumstances, I'd be pretty pissed if my date was really that late.
1: Wait, when was he supposed to be there?
0: I don't know. Because, I mean, Um, that
1: might have not been too late. Well, all the
0: articles said that he had to push back the time multiple times. And he called her at 824. So, I mean, it was two hours later. He's pretty late.
1: Come on,
0: dude. He actually tried calling her two more times after that 824 call, but she didn't answer the phone. Oh, no. He tried to knock on the door, and he was really confused because all the lights were on, but no one answered the door. He actually went around, and he peeked in her windows... And he saw, well, so, you know, when you're expecting someone, like, if if I was home, had my headphones in or something, or the music's really loud, I don't hear, I've actually gone to a friend's house before, and they didn't hear them, and I went around to a window, and I, like, tapped on the window. Oh, no,
1: I do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just funny.
0: So, that's, I mean, he's a celebrity, he does normal human things, so he was doing (laughs) that. He was trying to find her and get her attention. Yeah. Um, he peeked in the window and he saw what he assumed was spilled red wine on her carpet. (gasps) He actually, he figured that she was mad at him for being so late. So he just called a loss a loss and he left. No. The next morning, Ashley's roommate came home and found an absolutely gruesome scene. Ashley was lying just outside of the bathroom, just out of sight of where Kutcher saw what he thought was wine on the floor. She had been stabbed 47 times, and her throat was slashed so deeply, she was almost decapitated.
1: That's scary. Yeah. And horrible.
0: Police said it looked as if she had been attacked from behind as she was getting ready for her date. Her curling iron, her blow dryer were still plugged in. Were and, they on?
1: That's not safe.
0: And her hair was still wet as if she had been like just gotten out of a shower. Ashley's friends, like the smart folks they are, immediately suspected Mike the friendly heating and air conditioning yes! guy. Yes! Ashley's sweet. friend Chris, remember the guy who had his uh, flat tire and he was yeah. actually the first one to meet Mike told police about Mike the first time he went in for questioning, and the police just didn't seem interested.
1: What? How do you not... They legitimately are like, my friend's dad, this person
0: was creeping. Right. So one detective actually said he was not in their circle of friends, they were just creeped out by him. It takes a little bit more than that to get focused on somebody as a suspect in a case like this.
1: Excuse me? He would just stroll into her house.
0: What drives me so crazy about this, this one specific thing is... You know, you always see when people are murdered, the investigators will go and ask their loved ones, do you know anyone who would have wanted to hurt her? They gave them a name and they didn't care.
1: Yeah, that's like one of the first things. Like, right. does this person have any enemies? Well, she does have a stalker. Right,
0: Creepy Mike. And the police were like, you don't have a last name for us? Okay, Well, I'll take that down and we'll have it under consideration. Like. no. You gotta, you gotta care more about this stuff. Oh, my God. Okay. Police interviewed people in Ashley's social circle, which is actually really large, and it took them months to learn Mike's last name, and then they put him on their list of people. Months? Yes, months.
1: For, like, the first name that was dropped to them yep. was this guy. Yep.
0: I'm actually going to take a really quick detour back to Chicago. Okay. Trisha Pacaccio's murder had been cold for nearly a decade, zero leads. In 1999, a new detective, Lou Sala, took over the case, so now it's 2002. Ashley's murder, they're still investigating it over the course of these months, they're questioning people, we're now in 2002. Trish's mother, Diane, said that she had been checking in with detectives once or twice a week, and, you know, they didn't have any leads, but she felt like it was helping her emotionally because... It was someone she could talk to that knew exactly what had happened to her daughter. Oh, really? It's really sweet. Really cute. And her father had said that he is not going to give up until his daughter gets the justice that she deserves. So like these, these parents are just champions for their daughter. It's great. DNA technology had advanced quite a bit since the murder and they were able to take a look at the evidence from Trisha's case again. They actually retested the DNA from under Trisha's fingernails. They were able to get a complete profile. So something that they can actually oh. take to a national database to see if there's anyone who matches.
1: Okay. So like the looks thing?
0: No. Um. Or? So when you test DNA, you can have like a partial profile. The more complete the profile is, the more markers you have to test against. Yeah. And the more certain you can be when you find the match. So they had this complete profile, a bunch of ones and zeros on a screen. Mm-hmm they just needed to now get samples from people on their list they actually had a list of everyone they had talked to during the initial investigation in 1993 and they wanted to get dna samples from all of them
1: they actually
0: they actually mentioned they tested they tested everyone they tested her mom her dad her friends her brother and the dog the dog weird right
1: yeah because the dog can pick up a knife Stab somebody.
0: Well, so I, I actually, I mean, that's a really good point. I didn't even think of that. Um, I thought it was weird because DNA is advanced enough at that point that they could tell it was human DNA. So why do they need to test the dog?
1: Oh, that's what you were thinking. Yeah. Oh wow, we were talking totally two different mindset.
0: <laughs> we complete each other, apparently. <sighs> And so I was thinking my notes actually say, um, maybe they just got so excited that they threw the talking in just in case.
1: You know, comparison, it's science, man.
0: I mean, yeah, if it's the first time, you know, the first time you yeah. get to play with a new toy, you do a bunch of stuff with it. Maybe they were just playing yeah. with their new toy. Anyway, detectives wanted DNA samples from anyone they had spoken to back during the initial investigation. Michael Gargiulo was on that list. There were rumors that he was in Los Angeles, so they actually contacted the LAPD for their assistance in getting the DNA sample. So we're going to go back to L.A. Detective Tom Small was working on Ashley's case and had started taking a more serious look at Michael, the HVAC guy. So at this point, Michael now has two police departments that are interested in him. (laughs) So Tom Small gets a call from Lou Sala asking for some help and Lou actually went across the country to meet with them and LAPD holds up a photo of the guy they're looking at the Cook County detectives from Chicago were like that's our guy and so they both kind of at the same time were like well what are you looking at him for and LAPD was like well he's a suspect in a murder investigation so they kind of came to a mutual consensus that like we need this guy's DNA Police were able to get a DNA sample from Michael in hospital. The details are a little fuzzy. It doesn't sound like he was willing. It sounds like he resisted a little bit, but they got the sample that they needed. The sample was sent to the crime lab in Illinois, and the result came back as a match. Like, ding, 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 match for the DNA under Trisha's fingernails. Yeah. You would think they would have enough to go, like, scoop him up, arrest him, right? Yeah. No. What? No. Why not? police thought they definitely had enough to arrest him the da said they needed more evidence
1: freaking da why like dna evidence they
0: thought the dna could have got there in some kind of innocent way because michael had actually told detectives he had given trisha a ride home the day before her murder and so
1: she has blood
0: not blood dna it could be skin cells
1: How do you get that under your nails, It's actually
0: really easy. Like, I can shake your hand and have your DNA under my fingernails. The percentage mix is what's important. So the DA was like, you know, she could have picked up his DNA when he gave her a ride home. This guy's been friends with her brother for years. Maybe she gave him a hug as she got out of the car as, like, a thank you. Because, you know, I mean, I do that. I'm a hugger. I do that. Mm. So... That's the DA was like, we need more evidence. So they did not go pick Michael up. So remember, there was no DNA actually left at Ashley's crime scene. He was still just the creepy heating and air conditioning guy. So really at this point... Michael is just this really unlucky dude who happened to live near these two gorgeous young women who were brutally murdered. So
1: coincidental. I and mean, some
0: people's luck, you know.
1: Just it's it's all luck and coincidence. All right. That's, well, that's what life is.
0: Michael was on the radar for police now, but he kept a low profile for for a few years and moved to a suburb called El Monte which is about 20 miles east of Hollywood. Um, He moved there in 2005, and he actually had a baby with his girlfriend at the time.
1: That poor woman.
0: And, man, you know, we said this guy had really bad luck. This dude's luck just got even worse, because, you know, right before Christmas 2005, a beautiful 32-year-old neighbor of his was attacked in her apartment.
1: Attacked or, you know, sliced and killed?
0: Well... Her name was Maria Bruno. She was this gorgeous mother of four. She had a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and twin (gasps) two-year-olds at the time of her murder. I just really love twins. They're really cute. Uh, Maria and her husband had been having some marital issues in the months before her death. They actually had some really violent fights, and her husband actually punched her in the head at one point. So Maria did the smart thing. She left him. And she moved into a gated apartment complex. You she, go girl. Smart girl. Um, she actually chose the complex specifically because of the security measures there. You had to have a key or a code to get through the door. So, like, not just anyone could get in. So, really good on her for doing that. This murder is actually a lot more graphic. Um, so, I'm just throwing out a trigger warning right now. It gets pretty brutal. In the early morning of... December 1st, 2005, someone entered Maria's apartment by prying the screen off her kitchen window. They then took a knife from her kitchen and they mutilated her body as she slept. She had been stabbed several times, her throat was slashed, her breasts were removed, and one of them was placed in her mouth. Ew. Yeah.
1: That's... That's brutal.
0: Yeah, so... You know, Michael, with the bad luck, his bad luck is just—it's getting worse. It it amplifies every time something happens.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Just worse and worse.
0: Maria had only been living in her apartment for ten days.
1: <gasps> no. Yeah. So, how does because his luck is getting so bad? How does he tie into her life?
0: Well, we'll we'll get to that. Oh. I think I get to that later when I talk about the trial. Okay. Uh, Maria's husband was the one to actually find her. I don't know why he was at her apartment. Like, if she had left him because of domestic violence issues, I don't know why he was there. My guess is um, he actually, he had custody of their kids when she left. Yeah. So I'm wondering if he was bringing the kids there or if he was picking her up to go see the kids. That's the only reason I can think of that would make sense for this physically abusive husband to be allowed to her apartment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that it was bringing her to the kids.
0: I don't think the kids saw. I I didn't get the impression. I didn't see anywhere that said the kids saw. So I'm hoping it was him picking her up. He called 911 because he came and he found her body in a pool of blood. Investigators came out and they found a little bit of evidence. The only evidence they found was a blue surgical booty outside the front of her door with a drop of her blood on it. Have you ever had like Comcast come to your house and they put those blue booties on so they don't track mud and stuff around your house?
1: Actually, I know they always just wear their shoes.
0: Oh, interesting. A lot of people in service fields, like plumbers, HVAC, cable, they actually have these booties with them that they will put on over their shoes so that they can come into your house without like muddying it up or getting it dirty. Okay. They found one of these booties with a drop of Maria's blood outside of her front door.
1: Of course.
0: So, detectives spoke with neighbors, and one neighbor actually reported seeing some weird things in the dates leading up to her murder. He said he reported seeing a man in a hoodie following Maria. He saw the man jiggling her doorknob and looking into her windows, and one time he even saw this guy following Maria while she was carrying groceries, but, you know, not important enough to report to police.
1: I mean, there's some weirdos out there, but, I mean, at least talk to her and be like, hey there's this dude who keeps following you
0: well i kind of get that he wouldn't because she was super new to the community yeah so i mean your new neighbor has someone following her and you don't know i would tell my neighbor i would think so too but apparently (laughs) this guy didn't think it was important enough
1: maybe he thought it was normal for them
0: maybe i new neighbor not everyone's friendly i don't know people have their
1: kinks i don't know
0: Detectives looked at records for everyone in the apartment complex, and no one really popped up for anything that was a serious enough arrest record for them that they were like, waiver a white flag, hey, look, let's look at this guy, because, you know, bad luck doesn't show up on your criminal record. Yeah. Conveniently, Michael was never home when the police tried to knock. He actually lived in this apartment complex. Michael was never home. They left cards for him and he never followed up with them. And so he was never interviewed. Oh, how convenient. Yeah. A couple more years went by. Michael got married and he moved to Santa Monica. Santa Monica is 30 miles west of El Monte, um, which is about 20 minutes west of Hollywood. So Mm -hmm. initially he moved east of Hollywood and now he's moved again and gone west of Hollywood he lived in an apartment with his wife's mother and this is where you know his bad luck just strikes again well, but yeah but bad luck so michelle murphy was a 28 year old woman who lived in an apartment complex right across the alley from where michael was living on april 28 2008 she woke up with someone on top of her stabbing her
1: I would. That would not be the most fun way to wake up.
0: It, it's probably in like the bottom one percent of ways I would want to wake up. <laughs>
1: the bottom one percent.
0: Um, and you know this five foot one boss ass bitch Michelle Murphy fought the asshole off. Yes, bad. Bitch. She was being stabbed <laughs> repeatedly. And in an interview, in her testimony, she said she wrapped her hand around the blade and she was just (gasps) fighting with everything Uh, she had. Eventually, she got to a point where she got her legs up underneath and she kicked the guy off.
1: Yeah. In
0: all of the fighting, the guy actually ended up cutting himself and he was running out the door after Michelle was able to kick him off. You know what he was saying as he ran out the door? Oh, no. I'm sorry.
1: What? Wait. Pause. Let me process. So I'm stabbing you, and then I you kick me off, and I walk go running out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Basically, I can
0: picture the little little bitch voice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really, like, do, you're not sorry, not yet, because this guy's bleeding. His blood was in her bedroom. It was running out her door. It was on the steps out her door. So Santa Monica police tested it. And it took, it takes a while to yeah. process DNA. So about a month later, it came back as a perfect match for Michael, Michael Gargiulo. It matched the sample that they had taken yeah. for Trisha's murder. And actually, because the sample was taken in conjunction with Ashley Ellerin's murder it actually brought up that case too wow what's creepy here is they actually found after they matched the DNA to Michael yeah he had a direct view straight into her bedroom from his house
1: that is so so like he doesn't even have to meet these people he's just
0: just stalking them what a stalker creepy The detective working on Michelle's case had actually really recently had a conversation about an unsolved case in El Monte that sounded really, really similar. Even though they were different jurisdictions, this detective called up the detective from the El Monte case. Yeah. They tested the booty and they found Michael's DNA on the elastic band that kind of wraps around the top.
1: Yes. This guy isn't, like, M.O. smart, I'm, I'm noticing. Like,
0: he... Well, he is. He didn't leave DNA at a lot of places. And yeah. you wouldn't think that touching the elastic band to put a booty on your shoe would leave a lot of DNA.
1: Yeah.
0: Because, I mean, forensic science, it's early 2000s. It's come a long way. Back then, I wouldn't think of that. Because...
1: Yeah. Like,
0: then. it obviously, it doesn't leave a fingerprint. Like... I, I don't know. Just our understanding of DNA is so more advanced now that it's not something you really think of back then.
1: Maybe maybe that's why I'm like, oh yeah, no, definitely. This right, that's smart. Um, Should have been wearing gloves.
0: On June sixth, two thousand eight, Michael was arrested and charged with the murder of Ashley Ellerin and Maria Bruno, and the attempted murder of Michelle Murphy. Yes. When he was arrested, he asked, "What agency is this?" Wait. And the detective at the time was like, this is huge because it means he doesn't know what he's being arrested for.
1: Wait, he doesn't know he, they like came to
0: him and he, well, he asked what agency is this? He wants to know what jurisdiction is coming to arrest him because he didn't know which murder he was being picked up for.
1: Oh my gosh. So like he knew that like it could have been any of these. Yeah.
0: And oh that that was what the detective said. He was like, the second I heard that, I knew. It that. was,
1: that he did all of them. Well, almost.
0: Right. So, in 2011, 48 Hours, the TV show,
1: mm-hmm.
0: actually aired a show about the Hollywood Ripper. Like, that was what he had come to be known as because he had acted in that really small area around Hollywood. They also threw in the unsolved murder of Trisha Pocaccio because his DNA had been found under her nails. Almost immediately after the show aired, a witness came forward. A witness? This guy's name is Tamer Leary. He was one of the guys that worked with Michael when he was a bouncer at that nightclub. And he was one of the guys that was in the car when (sighs) Michael made his weird statement. Tamir Leary came forward and told investigators about that car ride and about how Michael had told them that he had killed a girl back in Chicago.
1: Basically confessed.
0: Right. It took 11 years for this guy to finally go to trial, which at the time was the longest in LA's history. And it was because there were over 100 hearings. He kept firing his attorneys At one point, he tried to represent himself, because, you know, he's so smart. And so, finally, he got court-appointed legal legal assistance, and they went to trial.
1: Sounds like a uh, Ted Bundy wannabe. I have no idea, man.
0: Some people just think they're that smart. I mean,
1: if you're gonna, like, murder that many people and just try, I, I am, I mean, I can kind of see you thinking you're that smart. Like, oh, I'm getting away with all this, but...
0: I could totally represent myself, right? Because yeah. that all these guys think that they're like on top of the world, they're smarter than anyone else, and he can talk his way out of it. Um during the trial, Michelle Murphy took the stand and testified about her attack. Investigators detailed Michael's proximity to all of the victims, because you know, he lived right around the corner from Trisha. Yeah. He had actually met and was trying to date Ashley. He lived right across the street from Michelle. He lived in the same apartment complex as Maria. Mm -hmm. They kind of detailed how he would link, he would stalk all of these women. They showed how his DNA was linked at all the crime scenes and how it was found. They had his coworker testify about the stories that Michael told him. While the coworker was testifying... He actually said, you know, I tried to make eye contact with Michael. Michael wouldn't look at me because, you know, Michael knew that this guy was telling the complete truth Yeah, and he didn't want to look at him.
1: No, man.
0: Ashton Kutcher was called as a witness for Ashley Ellerin's case to try and establish the timeline because he was actually the last person, the last known person to 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 talk to her. Um, and so it, it narrowed down the timeline from, you know, the entire day from whenever she dropped her dad off to the murder to the 824 phone call and 1045 is some time when it had to have happened. So it, it took this big window and it narrowed down to two hours. Even though Michael was not actually being tried for the murder of Trisha at that time, They use details from her attack as evidence to show that Michael has a history of this kind of behavior. This seems really, really weird to me because I've heard so many stories of people who have been tried and convicted for multiple offenses. And the judge always says that you're not allowed to bring up the other crime. Yeah. And it's even more weird in this case because he hadn't been tried. He hadn't been arrested for this yet. I don't know why the judge allowed it. It just seems really really weird to me.
1: I mean, maybe it's just because it was so similar and then I mean, I don't know. I don't know.
0: I mean, it could be, but it it seems it seems really weird to me. It's, that cuz yes. there have been other cases with better evidence where the person was convicted and a judge was like, "Nope, you can't use it." And it's maybe this judge was just really chill and really hated him. <laughs> They really wanted him to go away for (laughs) this. Yeah, they did. During the course of the trial, a forensic expert from Illinois that initially tested his uh, DNA when they got the first sample testified that the mix of DNA under Trisha's fingernails was 50-50. So it was like 50% her DNA and 50% this other person's DNA, which is a huge deal because I said that she could have picked it up in some casual way. Yeah. A 50-50 percentage shows that it was not casual contact.
1: What did I say earlier? That's not normal. <laughs>
0: right. So, actually, the DA in Chicago, when he took... He didn't know that this 50-50 thing existed, apparently. Like, okay. Like, no one had actually disclosed to him the percentage. They just said, yep, it's his DNA. And so the DA didn't have enough to go off of. So he's like, okay, we need more so, with the 50-50 info and the testimony from Michael's coworker, mm-hmm. they officially decided to charge him with Trisha's murder. Good. The defense team only called two witnesses. Oh, no. And they were both mental health experts. Lovely. They testified that Michael suffered from dissociative personality disorder and that he didn't know what he was doing when he was attacking those women. They didn't say that he didn't do it. They said he didn't know what he was doing. That doesn't help his case. Well,
1: I mean, if you want to claim insanity.
0: Right. Innocent by way of insanity, because I mean, yeah, so they argued that like concrete proof of this was in that last attack when he got kicked off and he said, I'm sorry and ran off. That was him coming to and realizing, oh, what have I done? So he was saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because he didn't mean to be attacking her.
1: He didn't mean to be stab, like, on top of and multiple stabs.
0: No, no, he
1: didn't. He didn't. And he didn't mean to do it to the... The three women yeah, before. No. Killed.
0: No, didn't mean to. So the defense, they're biggest besides having these two experts come in their biggest strategy was just plant out that's all they wanted to do just plant out because if you can get even one juror to doubt the story that the prosecution is selling you come back with a not guilty verdict no so the defense had all of these little arguments things like saying you know ashley's landlord admitted to being there he admitted to being there when that phone call happened Which means, you know, he was also there at the 8.24 mark. One of Ashley's neighbors said that they could hear a woman screaming at 8.30. So the defense attorney says that that was the landlord that beat her. We don't know when he left. This, man, this argument had me rolling my eyes (laughs) to the back of my head. The booty they found. (laughs) (laughs) With his DNA. They said, you know, that was Michael's booty. He's... He's an HVAC technician. They wear those when they go and work in people's homes. He he lived in the same apartment complex. He just accidentally dropped it when he was coming home. And it just happened to get some of her blood on it. Just happenstance. Yeah. Just happened. Just, you know, it was on the sidewalk already, and that's where it picked up the blood.
1: This guy's luck.
0: And, uh, I know, I it's thought
1: bad. I thought I was an unlucky person, <laughs> and he's just taking the cake.
0: They also argue that there were no witnesses at any of the crime scenes that actually saw Michael entering or exiting. How convenient. That one actually does make sense. It's... Okay. There's no eyewitness saying, I saw that man, but...
1: I mean, there's just people who said he did it. Well, like and it's claiming that right he, he admitted to them
0: and you know he lived like two seconds away you're not gonna see the guy when he can just leap right back into his own window after attacking someone yeah.
1: or like just walking out of the like you just see him walking he belongs in that location right oh, he is kind of smart i guess
0: so the jury began deliberations on august 12th 2019 They deliberated for three and a half days and they found him guilty of first degree murder of Ashley Ellerin, guilty of first degree murder of Maria Bruno and guilty of attempted murder of Michelle Murphy. The jury recommended the death penalty.
1: I'm not going to cheer. I'm not going to be like, yeah, but it sounds like he
0: deserves it. (laughs) So what's, you know, I'm writing my senior thesis about the death penalty and I've been using California as one of my case studies because there's so much information about the death penalty in California Corrections. Yeah. California death sentences don't really mean execution. They haven't actually put someone to death in a very long time. So even if he was sentenced to death, I mean, he'd spend his life there at minimum, but he may not be executed.
1: Oh, I mean, as long as he's spending life in prison, that's fine.
0: Well, you're going to be real happy with what I tell you next. That, That was sarcasm, correct? He's currently appealing for a new trial.
1: No, stop. You can't.
0: His lawyer says that he suffered a due process violation because the prosecution team didn't give them some important information about one of the detectives that was testifying in the case Apparently, I didn't look into this super deep because it looks like there's a lot of speculation about exactly what this evidence is, but it looks like one of the detectives retired. Okay. And then for whatever reason, they didn't the one article I decided to find didn't explain why, but after he retired, he suited up like an active duty officer and went to a jail to talk with someone. And then when he left, he just accidentally left the, like, a quote-unquote bag of contraband behind. That was all I really got. It, it was not really clear what they thought this guy had done. But the defense team is saying that they should have known this information because it calls into question the integrity of him as a witness and him as a person. They could have used that to convince the jury that his testimony wasn't worth listening to because of COVID-19 and all the lockdowns and everything that's going on right now his appeal has not been there's no there hasn't been an answer to it yet yeah um and it looks to me like he's not going to be going on trial for Trisha Picaccio's murder until everything in California is settled
1: <sighs> well this jerkwad <laughs> yeah I just i don't know i i mean if it's all skeptical unless they can like 100% prove it i feel like it i mean i guess in the actual legal system they probably will like they actually have to have solid evidence that this police officer did that to even consider that
0: right so. and so they're going to have to do their own investigation and a, essentially a judge is going to have to decide if knowing this information would would have changed the outcome. Uh, So basically they have to decide, worst case scenario, this detective's testimony is thrown out. Does the prosecution still have enough to convict him of these crimes? And if the answer is yes, they can throw his appeal out.
1: I hope that happens because I don't think you can come back from what he did like murdering those and
0: especially so brutally and it got worse and worse every time i can't imagine how bad it would have been for michelle murphy if she hadn't been able to fight this guy
1: yeah oh you also said in like more in the beginning did he always
0: like stab their left side so oh man i must have taken it out of my notes um what's important about the left side michelle murphy um, in her testimony, told police that she could tell the guy was left-handed because he was stabbing her with his left hand. Uh-huh. And the prosecutors actually, in the investigation of Maria Bruno's death, the angle and um, the concentration of the wounds on her made them believe that the assailant was left-handed. Okay. So, and Michael is left-handed.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, is it yeah, I was gonna be like, wait. I'm so sorry. That, and there's not that many left handed people in the world, if you like, so. So, this one guy
0: with like the really, really bad luck who happens <laughs> to be left handed. I mean.
1: lives next to all these murder I know, this
0: guy! And interested in these.
1: That's sad. I wonder if he actually had like a relationship in some way to like all of them or if the, it ended up just becoming stalking at it the It was last just two, stalking. At like, the last
0: two? Well, you know, he was trying to have a relationship with Ashley and she kept rejecting yeah. him. I'm wondering if at some point he tried to have a relationship with Ashley and she, reje- like, that ride home yeah. where he tried to come on to her in some way. And, you know, Michael was younger than her by two years. And so she could have been like, oh, haha, sorry, no. Yeah. I'm going off to college. You're just a kid. And I wonder if that pissed him off. And that's why he ended up attacking her the next yeah. night.
1: And it's like, you're my brother's best friend. That's kind of weird. Right. Yeah, no. And then these other... So I was just, like, wondering because those two were, like, interests mm-hmm. for him. I'm wondering if the other two were interests as well, but...
0: I I didn't include it in my notes, but there was a little bit of speculation that some of the reason he fixated on these women is because he had recently been in a breakup or in the case where he was actually living across the alleyway from Michelle yeah. with his wife, I wonder if he was bored of the relationship.
1: Or they were fighting or something.
0: Or just something that, you know, he was wonder- looking and he's like, man, she's real pretty. I wonder, And it just, he fixated on her. And because he had direct line of sight to her bedroom, it was like in his twisted mind, like he was able to see her, and he just became obsessed with her. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I wonder if his wife thought he was weird. I don't know. That's just me. I
0: didn't see anything. Like, there was nothing from, like, no statements from his wife or anything. There were reports from, like, ex-girlfriends that he would get violent with them. See, that's why. And that would cause some of their breakups.
1: That's why I'm wondering if the wife was, maybe she was just too in denial about it. I don't know. I feel like the significant other of the person says a lot of especially, like, with these type of things.
0: Especially when he has the history of beating what? girlfriends and having restraining orders taken out against him. What? <laughs> I, I couldn't find a place to fit that in because it was in this, like, itty-bitty details and, like, it wasn't super important to the story. Yeah. Um, he had a girlfriend, and I don't remember at what point it was. It was sometime, I think, between the Ashley Ellerin attack and the Maria Bruno attack. He had been living with a girlfriend that the girlfriend claimed that he hit her, so she took out a restraining order against him.
1: I mean, that makes sense. I hope they bring that up. Like He's obviously violent, and I really hope they just throw out the...
0: I really hope they do. I set up a Google alert, so as soon as anything comes out about him that says anything about his trial, um, I will definitely update because I want to know. I need to know. I also need to know how the trial for Trisha goes because it's completely separate.
1: Her Um. parents
0: are just like it's really sad because they openly state that like they want justice for their daughter. They will not rest until there's justice for their daughter. But they have so little confidence uh, yeah. in the local police department That's sad. because in 2003 they had his dna they had they had him yeah. and they let him go well, so they're just they're upset and they're hoping for the best but they're also kind of skeptical that it'll actually happen
1: i mean history i would be too but also like they have pretty good evidence now about it so...
0: And they have someone who can testify, like, you know, this dude just randomly yeah. told me one day.
1: Totally admitted to me that he killed somebody. Right. So, uh... Ugh. Well, that was a good one. Yeah, that was... That was a Hollywood ripper. He sounds like a... Stud muffin.
0: <laughs> no. <know>. I saw... <laughs> I saw a picture of him from the trial. He's, like, old and bald now, and... Ew. Yeah.
1: I... I i'm i'm really happy he is though because apparently if he was attractive when he was younger that's just a waste
0: yeah so i mean i hope that everything works out well but we'll have to keep watching and wait and see stay updated definitely (sighs) that guy makes me
1: mad this whole thing makes me mad petition he can't he can't get out (laughs) yeah can you do that I don't think so.
0: I mean, if he wins his petition and the the retrial, he's found not guilty. They have to let him go. I mean, he'll he'll be moved over for the trial in Chicago. But essentially, they can't retry him for those three murders if this next trial finds him not guilty. That would make me so mad. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll watch out for it.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, that was great.
0: That was Thanks. good. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We, we hope you tell your friends and... Yeah, share, share, and share, like. Yes, please. Sharing is caring. Please subscribe and give us a five-star mm-hmm. review on Apple Podcasts, because that would be great.
1: Yeah, and whatever... Else, you're using. I don't.
0: I don't know. I use Apple Podcasts, so I don't know how other platforms work. If you can review us in other places, do it. I would really appreciate that. Think
1: you can review on Spotify for podcasts? Don't quote me on that. I only listen to like last podcast on the left. Right. Name drop. They're great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we love them.
1: (laughs) But yeah, anyway.